Hey guys, this is exciting. This is Tal, and welcome to the first episode of Dentalks, Talks, where we like to have conversations with successful people from all walks of life as they take us on their journey of self-discovery in the hopes that you can begin your own. Today, we're so lucky to have my friend Kate Walsh here with us, a woman who's best known for her role of Addison on Grey's Anatomy and then Private Practice. You'd also know her from starring at 13 Reasons Why from Netflix. We chat about everything from turning 50, the dreaded 50, to divorce, how her brain tumor changed her life, and dealing with mortality at a very young age. Also, how she's learned to really check in with her own spirituality and intuition, and how it's made her make choices that she never, ever thought she'd make. Make sure you stay tuned for Kate's personal practice at the end of the podcast, where she reads a poem that inspires her, Everything is Waiting for You, by David White. Kate Walsh, a dear, 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 dear friend of mine, um, and I'm so excited to chat with you today. I know, me too. And before this started, we were actually just chatting, so we should just jump in there, kind of about, you know, Kate just turned 50, so we're catching you at an amazing time. <laughs> I mean, you just turned. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that a, a couple week weeks ago. ago. October 13th, on Friday the 13th. Her birthday is the day before my daughter's, which yes. I love. I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so you were just saying that you're this crazy, like, talk about it. You're just saying I'm at such an evolutionary period. Yeah, I'm in this completely transitional, amazing new phase where I'm about to move back to New York, and I literally don't know where I'm going to live in less than 30 days, but I'm cool <laughs> with it. And... Um, <laughs> But I will say, I, not to be corny, but that that's hugely, in large part, due to my meditation practice. That changed my life and makes it, in small part, like no small part, rather, like makes me able to kind of go with the flow and go, all right, I got to, you know, I'm, I'm cool. My spiritual container is big enough to handle the unknown <laughs> in pretty much every aspect of my life. But, but, but I do have a job right now. I know. I have a job. Great it's, job right now. Yeah, I have a great job. Um, it, if, um, but you were saying like you're in an evolutionary period. Do you feel like it started with 50? Because I feel like you were already in it for no, a while. I was already in it yeah. for the last several years. I mean, arguably, I knew, you know, it's like a storm that you know is coming. I've always been a spiritual person. Um, but I knew like, oh, this is some big changes are coming. In the last five, probably about five years ago, it started. Like, oh, some stuff's coming down and... I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to shake up my life. And then in every aspect it did. You know, I had, I got sick with a brain tumor, um, which that's a change everything. Um, and thank God I'm healthy and well. And, and, and every, but a relationship that ended. Um, but wait, let's back up because this like, is all amazing stuff. But let's talk. Yeah. Because so, five years ago is way before. Like what was precipitating for you then that you were feeling? Because that is before the Oh, brain I just tumor. remember I was working. You know, you and I were both working in a. In a this is around when you and I became friends. Yeah. And I knew then it was sort of my last big, I didn't know at the time, but I really, I was aware that I did want to keep working the way I was working, which you is did not like, I to. did not, which is like 70, 80 hours a week, um, like a mad woman with like 800 different things going. Now I say like a mad woman before when I was 40 or 30, you know, up until 45, really, I was like, this is great. I got off on it and I really enjoyed being busy in the, you know, the busier I was, the more I could do. And I really loved that. And it's successful. Is, yeah, and, it's successful. And, and in the business you're in, it's success that's also people know about it. So yeah. it's it's like yeah. a little ego driven as well. Oh, for sure. And I I really enjoyed it. I really uh I was doing, you know, I made a fragrance, I was on a show, I was redoing the house, I was I loved it. And uh, developing a show, I think with, you know, you, it's like so much. And I, again, for me, it was always sort of a coping mechanism. I think anxiety or I would deal with by just getting busier so I could sort of dissipate it with many different projects. <laughs> and then I kind of sense like this is, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work so hard. I want to relax more. But I didn't really quite know how yet. And um, so that's where all that started. I had always, I had had a, a meditation, a serious meditation practice that I had found a few years before with um, TM. When did you start that? Do you remember like around when? It was, pro it was when I was doing private practice. So it was probably around like 41, 42. Yep. Yeah. And, and I. what drew you to that in the first place? I just, what, I'm trying to remember how I was originally, my brother was doing it and he's like, 
you know, found it very helpful. And I think because I was working so much and just exhausted and it was just my old coping mechanisms, like say having a venti quad cappuccino every morning and a half a pack of cigarettes <laughs> was, were not quite working. <laughs> I was like, you know what, maybe I've got to switch it up. No, but I, I, and my, and friends of mine, my friend Paul Edelstein too, was really into TM. And I, so I went and I got trained, I got my mantra and I did it religiously for if there's such, if that's an oxymoron, but um, <laughs> 20 minutes, twice daily. I did it for like three years, like never missed a day. I heard they're down to 10, like they'll allow you to get away with 10. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so then I fell off. But before I did, I mean, it changed everything. It really got me to a place of, uh, of trusting clarity, like a, a really consistent, clear place of well, what makes me happy? What doesn't? What feels good? What doesn't? Other than creatively, it would loosen me up. I mean, I remember shooting a web commercial in the Bahamas for Billionaire Boyfriend perfume. And <laughs> I was like, got to meditate. I'm on a boat in the Caribbean, like in a remote island. I was like, excuse me. Downstairs <laughs> at four o'clock, I was like, did my thing. And like ideas and creative solutions would come to me other than peace and calmness. Um and clarity, you know, most of all, clarity and, and peace. So, so when you were crazy at that time, it just kept you grounded also. Super grounded and clear about what I needed and to keep myself happy and sort of in a state of joy. I realized, too, that I wanted to be done with private practice. I was like, oh, this is a consistent thing. That's, I'm like, I'm ready to be finished Which is a big deal, I mean, Which to is just huge. explain because that is the thing you'd been working towards almost your entire life. Yeah, and you don't realize it when you're an actor. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is great. This is a success. This is amazing. The, the character that, um, that started on Grey's, it was supposed to be just a recurring, and then it turned into series regular, and then that show was a huge hit, and then they spun my character off, and then it worked. And you got your own show. Yeah, you got your own show, and like, so this is awesome, but I was, I was exhausted and creatively I wasn't, I was sort of bored and I, um, and so, but that's a huge deal to even mm -hmm. contemplate, obviously. Yep. And you're like, I want to be done now. And you're like the 150 people are employed because of this show at least. So you don't want to take those, you know, decisions lightly and stuff. And so I feel like we all came to a great agreement but I was very aware that it was not just like a yeah I just needed to well, it's also that. a big deal because especially as an actor there I mean and I don't want to put words in your mouth but isn't there a little bit of a fear of but what does that mean if I don't have this yes but I and I've always been in that weird schizophrenic um one might argue masochistic relationship of like <laughs> it's so hard and the older you get the harder it is to be in that unknown but yet here I am at 50 going I'm gonna move back here you're in the unknown more than most people are yes. in, in any Type, yes. time of their lives. That's right. And so there's always that weird um, conflict internally with me as an artist where I'm like, I want to do really good work, but you have to wait for the good things. But I'm like, but I want to work. So then that requires me to even kind of be more strong, I think, spiritually and, and otherwise to be cool and be able to handle downtime or the unknown, like massive uncertainty. And trust that, like, oh, there's something. And also I'm proactive and I'm creative in other ways. But, you know, yeah. So you were previously married and yeah. had a big divorce. Big and, divorce. And a very interesting the moment divorce, at your own wedding. The divorce lasted longer than <laughs> right. the marriage. The process of the divorce yeah. took longer than the marriage. So. Yeah. But were you doing TM through – when did you start TM in relation to that? I wonder if I – were you doing it during, after? I don't remember if I was doing it before or during that. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. It started after. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting because, I mean, I don't know you, if you want to tell the story a little bit. You had a big moment at your own wedding. Oh, you mean when I froze on the altar? Yeah, that moment. Yeah, that moment. <laughs> or I, I passed out at the where he passed out because you just your body knew you should not. My be body, there. my entire body froze, and I shut down. Yeah, it was like out. Of, if you saw it in a movie, you'd think it was over the top. Um, <laughs> it was that was. I mean, that is an R-rated comedy. The whole thing that weekend. So, um, but yeah, I was. Uh, I, apparently, I was dehydrated. I put that in air quotes. So you guys can't see, but uh, I froze. I couldn't speak. Like I, I, you know, literally was like when they ask you is this do you not when you say I do but before in the very beginning like are you here of your own volition are you both of us like we are I'm like oh I was like oh my god I can't I can't speak and um when I did you take a 20 out? minute break I and started break to go happen? it was like I tried to keep going and even the the 
the minister is like, can you just keep going? Like, let's just keep let's get through it. And I was like, I love this story. Uh-uh. And I had to go because I was going to. So while he was leading you through those yeah, parts yeah, of the vows, you're I like, And I remember my break. beautiful friend, Kim Gillingham, who's my um, acting coach, and she does dream work, this Jungian amazing dream work, which is part of, like, involves meditation too. But she was reading this beautiful piece, I think my roomie or somebody, <laughs> And I couldn't, because it was like, I couldn't be there. I was not. I was <laughs> like, I was just wedding. trying not to. I couldn't move my hands. They were all palsied. I thought I was having a stroke. And um, so then I was like, I got to take a break. And I'm looking back at all, like, the bridesmaids and the girls. And my brother what were the faces? Is, well, my brother was beat red and sweating profusely. Because, yeah, that's Joe. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a heat wave, to be fair. <laughs> and all the bridesmaids were like, what? I was like, I'm not. And there's a, I had produced <laughs> I wish you guys a big could see wedding. the faces she's making It right was now. like, there was a gospel choir. I mean, I had produced a badass wedding. It was serious. And uh, and this is also the height of kind of private practice and Gray's fame. So it was crazy. We, you know, we'd sold the pictures to OK Magazines. We had, you couldn't have anybody else taking pictures. So they had tried to float Air hot air balloons, so helicopters couldn't get in, but it was too hot, so their air balloons like couldn't deflating. really. Ra- they were deflating; <laughs> they couldn't really raise. It was madness. It was, and so I had to take, I had to leave and go to a side room, and then they got me some emergency and I think a banana. And then the funniest part was Sergio, um, who's a good friend of hers, is a very good artist. friend of mine. He's my makeup, artist. but all of a sudden they're like, Sergio, you know, Sergio, and. He picks up his, he has a black bag, right, with makeup. And they're like, is that the doctor? And like, no, it's her makeup artist. Um, he went in an emergency. But he's like your emotional doctor. He is my, yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's I didn't so just. so absurd. It was so insane. Like if and I then you went back. Yeah, then we went back. I was, And I addressed the audience or the congregation. I was like, hey, guys, don't worry. Not having second thoughts. Everything's cool. Just had to take a break. I was dehydrated. And then we went on with the ceremony. The gospel choir had vamped, and there, everyone he got they got everyone up on their feet dancing. But yeah, when you came back to the altar and looked at your fiance slash husband's face, what was his face when you came back? Relief, oh, nervousness. Do you think, I think he, he knew? Was, he was relieved. You know, because that like, would be mortifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he came back there with me for a minute, and then he, I don't know, then he went back out. I don't know what it, <laughs> it was just. I mean, it's insane. I remember Sean Rimes going, that was the most interesting wedding. It's like the most <laughs> exciting, entertaining, and interesting wedding I've ever been to. I mean, part of the reason I asked was not just because I think this is an amazing story, but and the reason I asked about TM is because clearly your gut was oh, telling yeah. you something. Oh, yeah. And you just weren't yet a thousand percent in touch with it to like understand or to. Yeah, you could say dehydration, but I'd say right, I my know you soul was screaming out for help. Yeah. yeah, but you don't know. I mean, that's the thing is like sometimes you just don't know. And I am not afraid to take risks. I will always go and jump off the cliff and figure out how to pull the parachute as I'm going down. But I just. So I've learned a lot and grew a lot. <laughs> I grew a lot. I was told to say that in therapy. You grew a lot. You I grew, grew a lot. lot. I've grown I a lot, too. I've grown a lot. Yeah, yeah. I that's also fall the, off that growing a lot boat a lot, too. All the time. It hurts. It's painful. <laughs> Let's talk about the brain tumor a little bit, because you recently actually just come yeah, out talked and about talked it. about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And I was there for Oh, my that. God, for was, every bit. You visited me. I mean, it was yeah. an insane time of your life, but... Where do you – well, let's talk. Let's just talk about what happened. So because, I mean, it, it was – Yeah, so – okay, so I was doing Bad Judge for NBC, and I, I was EPing that and starring it, and you know what a crazy experience that was. The whole thing was madness. And so that had just been canceled, and I was exhausted, but I thought, oh, I'm just exhausted because that's how you are after a show. And um, I was working out really intensely, and I was doing food delivery, you know, just doing a total actress, like, experiment. of like, oh, I'm going to pretend to be a real actress, like, actually, you know, eat paleo and work out <laughs> insanely, which I never did before, but I was like, let's try that. And um, so I thought that was it. So I stopped doing the intense workouts. I started, you know, not doing food delivery. or I was still doing food delivery because it was just easy. But I went to go do Pilates, and my Pilates instructor was like, oh, you're – A, I was exhausted. I could drink, like, five cups of strong coffee and still be tired. B, I went to Pilates. She's like, oh, your right side is dipping. And I was like, that doesn't feel – I feel like I'm level. And then she's like, no, look. And I'm, my whole right hip was, you know, off. And, and then I would notice when I was driving, I couldn't – you know, I was going to the – everything to the right, had right orientation was off. I was, like, weaving to the right. And I thought, that's weird. 
And then I was having difficulty finding words. It was beyond aphasia or like middle age fog or perimenopausal fog or whatever. It was just like, oh, I'm not finishing my thoughts. I'm not able to finish it. So I started getting scared then and feeling like, is there some sort of immaculate degeneration of the brain? And I'm not a hypochondriac. No. I'm like a person that I don't even go. I barely made it to an OBGYN really before this. Um, now, who were you talking to about this or were you not? I was talking to my then boyfriend and my um, assistant. and my. But my boyfriend was convinced I was just depressed because the show was canceled. I'm like, no, I've had shows canceled. This doesn't feel like that. And my, I think, well, now my assistant told me, he's like, I thought you were just going crazy. That you were like, because he had only known me working like all the time always. Right. So. So he was like, oh, maybe this is what it's like when she's an not actress working. out of work. She's, she's just, just loopy and insane. And like he told <laughs> and me. And you were loopier. Like oh, that I, didn't I remember. Even, yeah. And friends. And that's what also got scary Whereas friends were looking at me in a weird way or saying, are you okay? And I'm like, and I would think I was doing better. I'm like, yeah. Like <laughs> friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. And then friends that I would see regularly were like, something's off. And so I, I started fantasizing about going to the emergency room. First, I thought it was menopause, but I'd already gone through early menopause. But I went to a hormone specialist, and a lot of the same checks were that. Am I taking up too much time talking about this? No, not this at all. So boring. Anyway. It's boring to you because you've probably talked about it a million times. But I think it's actually fascinating. And frankly, there's so many instances now with brain tumors, especially with women, that it's I actually think this is really twice as common in women. This really particular kind of about. tumor, it's twice as common in women as in men. Yeah. And, and we know women's medicine, I mean, the that's just a, as a sidebar. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry does know very little, if any, testing on most drugs on women. They right. test them on males. So it's like you're, you you got to really advocate and push. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to go public and partner with Cigna and all that stuff because I think it's so important. So I was fantasizing about going to the ER. Chris, or my ex, still thinks I'm depressed. But I, he says, you can't go to the emergency room. It'll be public, which I wasn't in. Like, he would have been right. It would have been, you know, who knows? People have thought I was going in for, for rehab for or something. dehydration. You know, whatever. Quote, unquote. Dehydration. <laughs> oh, sorry. And so then um, he makes – he gets finds a neurologist, makes an appointment for me. I go in, and the guy who – the neurologist, who shall remain nameless, says, oh, you're just – you know, sweetheart, you're an actress, and you're, you're in your 40s, going through menopause. And he slides me a prescription for like a very high dosage of Zoloft. And I was like, all respect. I'm not adverse to that, but I've never been on meds. And I, I'm, I'm open to that, but I just would like to get an MRI first. And he's like, why? What do you think you're going to find? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm not an expert. But I just want to make sure everything's okay. And I don't feel, why? Because I can't balance, because I can't drive, because I can only talk to you for about 10 minutes and then I'll be back in the car with my assistant driving me and I'll go home and sleep. That's why, you know, and oh, and I had also, I'd fallen off, I should say this, I'd fallen off TM then sometime during Bad Judge, doing it like maybe once a day instead of twice. I had stopped being able to get up in the morning and meditate straight away. So I was still doing like the afternoon meditations. And then it sort of fallen off when I got in this weird, funky place. And then I was so scared because I didn't know what was happening in my body that I started meditating again to calm myself yeah. with my old mantra, silent mantra. And it was hugely helpful. It was just, you know, to calm, to calm my shit. Anyway, neurologist finally acquiesces resist reluctantly yeah you insisted but i had to push it's as if he had to pay for it out of his own pocket it was really ridiculous i don't know if it's an insurance thing and they don't like to give up because there's no radiation. it's magnetic right. it's not radiation so um i imagine it's quite expensive and so and i imagine that he probably gets a lot of people that are just think they're dying all the time and want mris yes. so to be fair to the doctor so i get i don't even rush it the night before my mri you know, my boyfriend then we're in the pool. He tosses me a volleyball. I break my pinky because I have no depth perception. So I really. <laughs> it's not funny. But I was funny. like, I thought, oh, my God. I mean, I didn't know. I couldn't balance on flip-flops. It was just weird. I'm almost laughing because I know what your next few days oh are. My God. So it's and funny I was that you so out of it. I was just like, la, la, la. The only thing that made me feel better other than meditation was red wine. I was like, oh, red wine for some reason calms my nerve. So <laughs> who knows? Still does. Now, so we. I go and get the I get the MRI and they're like, we're not gonna be able to tell you anything. We'll send it to the doctor, your neurologist. And I'm like, okay. And as soon as I was done, 
the MRI tech was like, the radiologist wants to see you. I'm like, oh, good. Someone's going to tell me something. And um, she says, you know, shows me this x-ray. She's like, yeah, what appears to be a very large, we don't know until we get in there, but, you know, hopefully benign brain, meningioma brain tumor. It's like, blah, 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 blah. So what in that moment? I left my body. I was like, hold on. As soon as the words brain tumor were never in my psyche. I never for a minute thought Thought brain tumor. Yeah. I thought maybe it was like early onset Alzheimer's or some sort of, like I said, immaculate degeneration. I was like, there's something I just felt instinctively. And uh, I said, just wait. And I was like, let me get my assistant who had driven me. And I was like, Derek, are you here? Are you out, you know? doing dry cleaning or something he's like no i'm in the <laughs> lobby so he i was like i need someone here with me because i can't you. process yeah. this and so and i called my boyfriend immediately and she's showing me this thing and my brainstem line looks like a parabola there's so much swelling there's a massive dark spot in my front left lobe that's the size it's like over five centimeters like a little lemon and tons of swelling which is why you know and it's pressing on my brain so much that you know, my speech center, my balance, all this, you know, cognitive processing, but all the things that gradually degenerated and then very quickly degenerated were things I could sort of like, you know, excuse like, oh, it's ADD. Oh my God. I can't really read a book anymore. I'm exhausted. exhausted." Or wow, I'm too, my phone, I have a very short attention span or, hmm, okay. uh, I guess I need to get my eyes checked. It's blurry again. I had LASIK. So anyway, yeah, three days later I was in brain surgery. I went right away to thank God, one of the best surgeons in the country and thank God. Yeah. Dr. Keith Black. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I was just in a fog. And I was just like, okay. And I was so relieved. And I was so in shock, I think, that I didn't even... They put me on anti-seizure meds right away. And Did you have any moment from that point, especially because it happened so quickly and you did go into surgery, like before you went under the knife, was there any fear? Oh, yeah. I was like, well, also in an attempt, one of my friends got me in touch with some woman who had had the surgery um, the same surgery as me to sort of tell me. And I got on the phone with her the night before and she was hysterical and <laughs> freaked me out. She's like, make sure not to sneeze because you can blow your skull off. Oh, I was like, what? Oh, oh my God. I was like, oh. and Chris like grabbed the phone. He's like, like, God, don't talk to her. I know. <laughs> I didn't even understand they're going to take my skull off. Like I was just like, wait, where do you make the incision? Because I'm an actress. Just wondering. Grey's so, Anatomy did not pay off in private practice. No, <laughs> I know. It's so meta but I was like oh 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 gosh I take my skull off oh my god and yeah so it was what was your biggest fear going under like did you have a fear of well it was like I I mean it was very cliche it's all the things you hear about with people like I mean when as I and you're in the when you're in pre-surgeries you know you're waiting you're alone you're on the thing after a while people leave and you're waiting there for the you know anesthesiologist and so I had like a stuffed animal and my mother gave me (laughs) rosary beads I should say my mother gave me like cheap ass rosary beads like these plastic sort of like pale yellow but we can talk about your family later that's that's perfect I was like that's exactly what she should do I love that she gave me the the shitty ones you're like just because we don't know it's just whatever it's just we can't give you the good ones so um but I was laying there thinking and Bo Biden had just died like two weeks before or a week before for brain cancer and I was and I had campaigned with him and the Bidens for during the Obama years and he was such a good man. I just thought, if this is it, because they were like, we think it's benign from the edges that they could see, but but we don't know until we get in there, and we won't know how it's attached, and we won't know if we'll be able to get the whole thing, because it could be attached to a blood vessel or an artery, in which case we can't take all of it, and you're like, so I just thought, if this was it, I've had a great run, and if it's not it, hopefully, I really want to just you hit all those cliche things. I don't want to work as much. I want to travel more. I want to spend more time with family and friends. All of those things. And uh, so luckily for me, I had a happy ending and I and I've done all of those things. Like I've changed my life dramatically. And then it changed my meditation and recovery from the brain surgery. I found that I needed more support in my meditation practice. I couldn't just do the mantra myself. Yeah. So I um, started doing mindfulness yep. and the app. 
Um, can I say which app it is? It was, or is it? Yeah, it was Headspace, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. So I found Headspace, and that was very helpful for me. And also a really interesting form of meditation that's different than just mantra silent meditation. There's so many different forms. All of them are useful. And I should say, even years before, I'd do meditation for maybe five minutes or ten minutes, but you know, looking at a candle flame or breathing or mm-hmm. whatever, or in Kundalini yoga or whatever. But this was, uh, this mindfulness is what I still do. But I'll also mix it up with. That's what I mix everything up too. I, I just, that's, and I have to, and I like that about, I used to try to be more rigid. Like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do 12 minutes of writing. I mean, and, I, and, and, and by the way, everyone has a different philosophy about it. And some people who are very strict on a lineage would probably say that's wrong and you can only reach enlightenment by one path. But I'm, I just kind of believe I feel differently at different times. The different yeah. things work for me in a different way. And yeah. I'd rather be doing it consistently yes. and keeping the practice going than trying to force something that might not be right for me in that moment. Yeah, yeah, So exactly. I'm with you. I, I change it up also. Yeah. But, but let's talk. So when you, you came out, you did kind of have these vows to yourself. But recovery was kind of hard for you, it, like in a, in a good way, in a bad way. It was hard for you. But talk about that, like your struggle of kind of, it's a little bit we were talking about earlier of, of the duality of knowing what you want, but like, how do you actually make that happen? Like, in terms of, well, I felt like watching you go through it and yeah. sitting by your side, you knew you needed to rest. Yeah, which but you, it was hard. But it was really hard oh, for oh, you. Oh, yeah, it's hard. You can make the promises. It's sort of like going, I'm going to go to the gym or New Year's resolutions. You're like, all right, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to exercise more, meditate more, whatever. Uh, it's hard to, 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 you know, you can write the check, but to cash it, if you will, whatever metaphor you want to use, it was hard because there's that old operating system that was still there of like, I am defined by my work and I'm not working. And so in one sense, I completely surrendered to the process of healing because I knew I was, I wasn't in any way trying to get ahead of that, the physical process of healing, but I did have to live with this constant sort of anxiety too of, Oh my God, when am I going to work again? Right. And what, what? If I take too much time off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That fear. And I ended up taking about nine months off. And by the way, in that interim, probably about even the three to four month mark, I started getting scripts, but I was just passing on them. I just didn't want to do what I'd done before, which is at that point in time, network television or comedies that I didn't think were for me funny um, or, yeah. Or dramas that I just was like, I'm just not interested. So it was just also learning to trust myself and go, yeah, well, all right. And and also have a space and a dialogue with that anxiety and with that old operating system that has gradually changed. It's still something I struggle with. Like driving here going, should I call my agent and just be like, look, we got to talk. I'm all, and I'm like, I'm, but I'm just well enough to know, oh, that's my old thing that I always, I don't, I'm not driving the ship anymore. I'm not steering it. So even though I know intuitively it's really healthy, I still like, wait a minute, though. Maybe I should. So let's talk about that because that is very interesting because you and I have very similar personalities that way. Yeah. It's like a doer, a go-getter, make stuff happen for yourself, which in some ways has been huge for you. I mean, you've come from nothing and yeah. built yourself up yeah and it's I, how you yes. get stuff done and you're an advocate it's how you got your MRI I mean you yeah push. so that's a real it's it's and I still don't have the answer to that because I recognize like because I always want to be uh you know look at my part in any dynamic or relationship whether it's personal or work related or what have you I so I'm always like circumspect and going okay why do I feel like I want to <laughs> Why am I worried about my agents? Because I'm always worried about, like, are they really doing it? It's working? a really strange, it's an antiquated system and structure to go, I'm going to leave my career in your hands. You're going to be, I'm like, how are you representing me in the world? What are you saying? What's happening? Right. What's happening? So it's a very strange um, relationship. I still don't have the answer to that one. Right, because how do you reconcile knowing who innately you are a lot, like a fighter and a doer and a a controller a little bit, yeah, with letting go and peace and acceptance and waiting and waiting, yeah. How do you reconcile that? Is, yeah. it, is that a daily struggle for you? Yeah, some days that is probably still my thing that I I work on with everything. I want to be about twenty minutes ahead of life at least. If not, <laughs> I wake up often wanting to be somewhere else or wanting things to be different. That's the big. So joke. mindfulness must be fascinating for you though, because that is all about just being present in the moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and watching More my thoughts any- and feelings, and it's very helpful because then they don't rule my life. And I think, unfortunately, for probably many relationships, both personal and professional, they've gotten probably a good dose of my wanting to be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. 
and my emotions and or thoughts running the life, running my career or relationship of like, you know, and because, you know, and as an artist, as an actor, I have big feelings and big thoughts and I can convince myself that anything's real. So you have to be really responsible with those. It's like being at warlock school or what do you got? Like I have to be responsible with my own weird little witchy powers and, and but you know that, what I'm saying? I do know like, what you're because saying. Because you I think do. That's I, the ability to give you to believe that in 13 Reasons Why my child is died to really believe and trick yourself and to get into that place. You're like, oh my gosh. So you just you have to be, it makes sense to have some kind of practice that helps you um the control cipher. your mind, yeah, and or have a better relationship with mind and emotions and all that, and even pain, you know. I, you know well, you just had your soul, shoulder yeah. surgery too. Yeah, I did a thirty-day meditation on pain. It was fantastic, and it, I've learned. I learned so much in uh, meditation practice. I and mostly that everything changes constantly. There I is mean, no. That's the constant. That there is no constant. Yeah. Even change, even pain, and it's really about the anticipation or the memory of it that can really kind of get you, as opposed to if you're breathing and just really being Sit in it. Like, where is it right now? Well, it was here five minutes ago. It's not here anymore. It's so interesting you said so, that because I took my daughter to the doctor yesterday, and she's been a nightmare at the doctor. And yesterday was like a huge moment for us. She turned two, and she was actually no, like great, like normal. Yeah. And she had such a good appointment, but she had to get the flu shot and a finger prick. And my doctor and I both looked at each other and we're like, "Oh no, do we do this? Do we ruin her?" first good appointment that she might have a good memory from and we're like let's just do it that's life and it's funny and I was like how am I going to handle this as a mom because my daughter's just super smart yeah. we all think our kids are smart so but um and I remember just looking at her and saying and she's two and I just said so Levy we're not done yet you have to get shots and she just kind of looked at me and I was like and they're gonna hurt a little bit but that's it just two small boo-boos and they're just gonna hurt and then it's gonna go away and she looked at, like she looked right in my eyes and then she sat down and they're like, do you want to sit on mommy's lap? She goes, no, wait here. And she stayed where she was and I stood next to her. Finger pricks. She looked at it for a second. And while they were drawing the blood, she just kept reading the magazine she was reading. And this is a kid so who's smart. This is a kid who screamed through every appointment for two years. And then they're about to do the big one, which goes in your thigh, which hurts. And I said, again, this one's going to hurt a little bit more than that one, but it's okay. And if it hurts you, just put your hand on it and push and that'll help it go away. And she looked at me again, and the minute they put it in, I saw her face contort with pain, and I went to go put my hand. And before my hand could go down, she put her hand on it, and she was fine. And she, not a peep. Stop it. But it was amazing because I was but like, I'm just going to acknowledge stuff. that pain But it's exists. also like you have all these tools. Like It's still me when I stub my toe or I hit my ankle, and I am, you know, I, I am like, oh, okay, there's pain there. Like, push into it, acknowledge it, and let it release. Like, it is so... There's just so much proof in Western medicine and yeah. progressive medicine about mind-body. I mean, and particularly, P.S., with the recovery from brain surgery, I learned so much about the plasticity of the brain. And that's, of course, that's all a lot of meditation, and yeah. And it's in the zeitgeist now, and it will be more and more in the general population, brain um, science and wellness. And I mean, we see it now with turmeric and curcumin and, and supplements. But just like there's heart health, and we're going to see a lot more about brain health. But even in terms of recovery, they don't like to tell you too much because they want you to have your own experience. And if you start encoding people with, well, you might have this, you might have that, then you're putting that thought in somebody's head, like, oh, when's this going to happen? Now, there's certain guidelines or certain po posts that they want you to use. hit. Yes, but there's, it's just very much. But that's interesting, interesting because that alone is a lesson in meditation, whether you actually meditate or not, but to let go and have your own experience through recovery, especially something like brain surgery, where the recovery is intense. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, right. I mean, it wasn't just exhaustion, but sometimes you, you, you'd be a whole different person, right? When you woke up, I remember you telling me that it's like, you'd expect to be feeling one way and it just. Well, the exhaustion and like, and the emotion, I mean, also like for the first three months, two months, I had to be on anti-seizure meds, which are like doggy downers. Although I had been feeling, feeling so terribly before brain surgery that that wasn't really that bad for me. Right. Also, there was the steroids at first, which were euphoric. I thought I'd just become enlightened. I was like, <laughs> I am enlightened. This is awesome. I can't believe it. I was like, come, sit in my couch and let's talk. Well, I know your brother great. always makes the joke. He's like, she's never been nicer. <laughs> 
I love it. We were talking about that at your birthday. He's like, I loved it after her birthday. She was like the nicest Kate I've ever seen. <laughs> Even before. He's like, I knew something was off because you were so <laughs> mellow with mom. We had to be just like, ah, who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but but yeah. And then the enlightenment. You're like, oh, no. It's like actually a lot of it was steroid induced. I was on a high, a steroid high. But yeah, it was a lot of... Um, up and down. And I think it was, it was, you know, you kind of, I liken it to like a computer rebooting. So you'd have, but I was completely at the mercy of my body, which I think other people in life have experience with. If you have either a chronic illness or pain or, or certainly older people, when you get, you know, physical uh, medical issues that, cause I think up until that in my mid forties, it was all about in like intellectually, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, like mind over body, all this stuff. And, and then the body becomes the arbiter. It's like the great collector. And, um, so it was a very humbling process to be one of the big things was I would just get tired out of nowhere. And my eyelids would just shut. It was like little awnings that would come down. You're like, Oh, or my vision. Oh, they're done. I guess Shop I got to lay closed. down. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because going back to what we were saying, you are a doer, you are a doer, you're a goer. This this was the disease that was handed to you, which is yeah. fascinating. That made you like you said, you had no choice. There was no mind over body at that point. It was all if my body yeah. shut down, I had to shut down. Yeah, yeah. Which I did give myself, but you know, it was also still a struggle. But I gave myself permission and had lots of support and love and friends like you and family. And that was and I also found a girl who had had the surgery the 10 years before me with my same team. And she was, I called her my brain bunny. We're actually looking to start um, an out service, an outpatient service at Cedars called Brain Buddies, where we have that outpatient support um, That's pre great. and post surgery. And you um, won't tell people about their scalding tendencies. We won't tell, tell them that don't sneeze because you could, <laughs> or throw up from anesthesia because you can blow your skull off. <laughs> I mean, what part I'm of her sorry. thought that was okay? I, to I was say. like, well, she was, she was, she had really good intention. Shit. I yeah, was like, <laughs> she really didn't want your like, skull what? to blow up. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? But that's so, incredible. So you two, so it's yeah. You guys so we're together. gonna, yeah, yeah. And I had literally talked to this um, woman for two years. We texted, never met her, and she lived in like around the corner from me. We finally met this summer. Like I had her over for an Aperol spritz and snacks at, before I moved and sold the house in Encino. And I was like, hi, it's so nice to finally meet you. But we texted and talked for, for a long time because yeah. she's probably one of the few people that she, really she understood. She really knew. She's like, and she helped. It was just very helpful. She's like, give it, okay, here's a six, six week marker, three months in setting goals to like, you know, so you could, because it's so hard to be objective about progress, you know. But like one of the reasons we do this podcast is because. We always talk about like why the den exists too. It's learning to be authentic to yourself, learning to really know who you are. And it doesn't matter what that means or what it looks like. It's just being true to yourself and then making decisions almost in freedom because you know you're going in the right direction. I think yeah. part of the reason you and I immediately became friends is just because you always exude a version of that. Like you're yeah. always very in touch with who you are. But how do you feel like, do you feel like after the brain surgery that got enhanced or do you think that was just part of the journey do you feel like it pushed on fast forward because oh. I've noticed like a ton of changes just like you said physically you've moved a bunch of times you went through a breakup afterwards oh my gosh everything shifted yeah I got uh and who knows if it's from you know there's definitely I think a moment and probably a lot of people who have had either a big illness or or some kind of medical scare can relate to this that there's sort of before tumor or before cancer after cancer you know you survive something like that you're like oh yeah what's important and also this, you face your own mortality in a very real way. And uh, and I've had that experience, as I'm sure others have, earlier in my life. When my father died, I was 22. And, and it feels like this is life is over as I knew it before my dad died and after my dad died. And you get that shot of mortality. And some people have it at a young age. Some people don't have it until they're, they never have it until they're old. And they're like, do you know what I'm saying? How do you, you think that affected that you having it at such a young age? I think you, there's an urgency to what you want to do and how you, what, how you want to live your life. But at the same time for me now, it's a different, it's a completely different experience because I don't want to do as much as I used to do. Um, that old me was sort of removed with the tumor, I joke, like, but I, I also, it's, I have to meditate and have like a spiritual practice so I can make space for that newer, like the realer 
more authentic, however you want to call it, me to emerge and 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 sort of take up like live more from that place as opposed to that neurosis or that old operating system, if you will, that's like, what's next though? What are you going to do? Right. How's it going to work? I don't know. What are, you know, that kind of the worry, the fear. And I think, as you know, in our culture, whether it's familial or sociological or societal, we get all these stories and narratives put on us. Yeah, pressure. So, and, and if you're not living that narrative, you feel perhaps less than, but let's talk unless about you have some kind of system in place that really is like, I am You're confident perfect and, and this exactly. is amazing. And like, but I could easily go, oh my God, I'm 50, I'm single, I'm moving to New York. What is this? I didn't have a kid. And, you know, but these are that. the things I love about you where you are in your life. I love that you're the one we're texting. You're like, yeah, I'm moving to New York now. It's like, wait, didn't you just get back from New York? Wait, didn't you just <laughs> move to, to the beach? Like, And you're like, yeah, now I'm moving to New York. But I know instinctively, intuitively, it's the right thing to no, do. No, no, but that's I, what yeah, I love. Because you I don't know what's going to what happen. You want to and do. I definitely look and I'm very... But what uh, I like about what you're doing is you haven't, you've made so many interesting moves since the surgery I have found, whether it be certain choices of work you've made, going to go work on a play. You're like, I'm just going to go do this play for a while. And you got to go to New York, selling your house that you were attached to because you put so much love and care into it. Yeah. And do, going through a breakup, which involves some family, which I know you were attached yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. But you made it was all... so painful. And you made all of these moves, though, never because you knew what was going to be next. And that's what I thought was awesome. If anything, most of those moves kind of were very like new adventure for you or something totally like yeah. falling off a cliff per se. Other people might perceive it as that. Like, yeah, but I, I literally drew that in my little drawing book. It was like tumbling off a cliff. You did? Yeah. And then on the bottom, it's like, it's going to be soft landing though. That's so funny is. that I use that metaphor yeah. because that's what I, I felt like with you in a good way. It was almost like you knew there was a parachute. Yeah. And I think it's, Great. It's been really amazing to watch. So whenever you t if you text me like, hey, I'm moving to New York, it's not like someone I know who's running away from a million things. That's not what I get from you. I get like, that's what I feel like I need to do right now. And yeah. it's happening. And yeah. that's what I love. It's like you really are so in touch with what you need. And you're not moving there because you're like, I have to move there because this and this is going to happen. I have to move there because I'm going to meet someone. That's yeah. not it. No, no. I mean, I search myself pretty thoroughly before I make a decision. And there's definitely tons of fear um, an anxiety around it too, or like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And yet it feels like That's intuitively like doing. super right. Like I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know what it looks like. And that is a daily sort of conversation I have to have with myself to like be in a state of joy and excitement. And that's something I started doing too last year. I think rather than saying I'm freaking out, I'm like I'm super, I'm uh, I'm really excited. You like purposely <laughs> like, like, like changing language, yeah. Like I think it's, I, but I you know I believe in all of that, like changing the language, doing gratitude lists, but saying oh I'm excited, I'm excited as opposed to I'm freaking out or I'm scared or I'm nervous. And it, that's a really good point you know? because I'm I excited. feel like anytime I've like it entered an unknown, like, I'm excited. It's exciting, and yeah. it's usually somebody else's voice that's telling you to be afraid. You know, like right. my mother's voice or society's voice. You know, like, how's that going to work? What if you can't pay your rent? You're going to end up in a box on the street? What are you going to do then? Well, also, look, you made a really big decision about not having kids. Yeah. And that was like a, like, which I also appreciated from you, too, because we talked well, a lot about Well, you saw the this. process of that, too, because yes. I was like, I'm going to adopt, I'm going to adopt, I'm going to adopt. And then I was like, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. No, I mean, I, like, booked my flight to go help <laughs> you, like, fill out all the paperwork. And you're like, oh, still come, but I'm not doing it, which I love because <laughs> you, yeah. you really. But I really was, again, meditated on it. Like, and turned it over because I found myself obsessing daily. Like, do I do it or do I not? Do it? And but let's chat about that because that's yeah. a perfect example of societal norms, which are, you, and yes. also you were a very nurturing, loving person. So it's not even like you were just doing it because you felt like you had to. You are someone who loves children. Yeah. You are very nurturing. So I understand why you wanted it when you thought you wanted it. Yeah. But talk about getting to that decision of it's okay. This actually, I don't think is for me and I'm okay with that. Well, that's been so myriad and multifaceted and over the years because I really always thought I would have kids. And then I, my career that I chose was, is a very, as you know, strange, murky business. And so I didn't really hit until like mid thirties. I was always like a happily working actor since my twenties, but it was really my mid thirties at Grey's Anatomy that it started kind of moving forward and hitting. And then you're working tons of hours. And then I went through early menopause. And then you're just sort of like, and then I felt like I was trying to play catch up, which I think a lot of women probably identify with. Like you're focused on your careers. We have this like choice. I have a whole have to make. theory. It's like post pill generation. We're the first post 
birth control pill generation where we have this choice that my parents didn't have. I mean, maybe a little bit, you could argue, but my mother, you know, got married, had babies, and then got divorced. And no, then we are tried the first find, generation that had, the first generation lucky that, enough, we had choice. We had choice. We're very we're fortunate. for it, unfortunately, in another That's way. correct. So it's this idea that we're told in our culture, you should and can have every single thing. And then you're like, I should and can have everything. Why aren't I? So I think that's really hard. And it leaves us without a roadmap. When do you feel like you felt that moment of, wait, I can't have it? Um, I remember feeling like I, 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 I wanted to, but then I was, I never wanted to do it alone. That was my thing. You know, and maybe that, that was a blessing takes. that you knew that. Yeah. Because otherwise. And then even this last time when I was like, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. And I talked to, I had like one friend who's done it alone. And I remember going to visit with her and she's like, it's really hard. I mean, of course she's never, you never regret it. She's like, this is the, my biggest love of my life, but it's hard. And I, and for me, I thought, I know what I, what I would have to do. I just got very, again, and then maybe that's midlife. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's post brain surgery, but I was, I got very close. And then I had a very good friend, our mutual friend who just had her baby with a husband and with a, and she's like, it's really hard. And I'm doing, and you know, you end up doing all the work really. (laughs) (laughs) No. Meaning the mom. (laughs) And so, and I thought for me, particularly because I don't have a second income, it would be me having to work and work a lot and um, have to get full-time help. And then I, I just looked at it and I looked at it very pragmatically. And also when I was obsessing, I should say this in New York, when I was doing the play and I was talking to you, I had this block, like, I'm going to do it. I just can't fill out the paperwork. Right. You really did have a block. I, saw I had it. a block. Because I remember before you left for New York, I was like, you can, we'll do it really quickly. You can do it if yeah. you want. And you and then totally there was had something, a block. I had yes. a block. Something was holding me back. And so rather than trying to figure it out, which is our instinct, I'm going to try to figure this out write pages of pros and cons, which I did. And then I was just like, let it go. And when you let it go and you just really give yourself permission to go, what is it that I want to do if I didn't have anybody to answer to? Oh, I'd like to do another play or I want to travel. Like, so what happened with me was like, I want, I'm going to adopt a baby, but first I got to go do this play. And then after the play, I'll come back and adopt that baby. And then after the play, it's like, I really want to travel because I'm going to have to go back to work in a month. I have 13 reasons why. So and then everything, when I just looked at what I really kept putting wanted other to things do, before it. Oh, I clearly want to do other things. And and then I really thought, if I can't fill out this paperwork, I don't really want to do this. And I didn't. And then I just got really relieved. honest and relieved. I was like, okay. You know? But that doesn't mean I still don't feel societal pressure. But that's what I was just about to ask Or you. Just don't feel um, regret sometimes. or And where do you think the regret comes from? I think just that. It's not even regret or more grief of like, oh. That you, version of what you picture. I didn't, yeah, I didn't take that path. That's not my path. And it's not even I didn't take it. It's some Life took me and then I took the, you know, I think it's a symbiotic thing. Yeah. But um, I do, I feel very grateful and blessed that I have all these babies in my life that I get to, you know. You do. Spend time with. But it was really, yeah. And I've had the experience of being a step-parent. Arguably in some of the most difficult years, like prepubescent yes. to teenage years, two boys, you know? And so it's, I really loved that experience. But yeah, so I, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I, I feel fine and clear that like, you know, I'm not a mom. Are there any other moments in your life that what you just said, I thought was so interesting of like, I have to mourn that path that I didn't, that wasn't really mine. But like, are there any other moments in your life you can look back on and be like, oh yeah, that was definitely a path choice and I went this way and that's what, like, this is how I got here. Yes. Um, I mean, I, my first love, my first boyfriend, you know, I dated him from like 15 to 19. I mean, everyone thought we we're going to get married. And I really, there was this real dichotomy or duality in me of like wanting, because I had such a non-traditional kind of erratic upbringing that I wanted to there was a part of me that really desired this very provincial, dom- domestic, linear, you know, go to college, get a degree. Like, I wanted to be that person so badly that was normal, quote, you know, like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, get married, have kids, have a house, two cars, like, have a... White picket fence. Yes, all of that. But I also, that wasn't who I was at all. So, 
Um, I think all these little pieces, you sort of go, oh, I'm not that. That's not my experience. Not this time around anyway. You know? But it's interesting because everyone discovers who they are at different times. And it's like, yeah. it's, like it's, it's a struggle when you don't know who you are because you make those decisions. So it sounds like you were actually really lucky. You always kind of Yeah, I went to college were. and I dropped out. Thank God. It was, you know, my mother's like, go to college, get a degree in computers. Oh, God. I know you well this enough is, to know, you know that was a mistake. 1985. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after changing majors 800 times, getting on academic probation, moving back, and then it's like, wait a minute, I wanted to act. And they had a, they didn't have a good theater program. For me, it was not the right theater program at the U of A. So I went and just did black box theater training, then did, you know, summer stock, and then went in Chicago, more theater training, got my equity card, and yeah. What was your childhood like? My dream. Um, crazy. I mean, amazing and crazy. My parents were divorced when I was six, and I was the youngest of five, but I went with my mother. I'm the only one. And she, the other kids, one was already out of the house, but the other three stayed with my dad. And so I went from being a youngest of five to sort of an only child and not seeing my siblings a lot. Um, That was really hard. And then, but I kind of went on this adventure with my mother, who then married a guy who's 17 years younger than her. They're still married. <laughs> I call her the, the OC, the original cougar. <laughs> and um, we went, we moved a lot. And, um, but his family was really incredible and beautiful. And his, uh, my, his mother, my step-grandmother, who just passed this year, was an incredible, like a profoundly generous woman and a great part of my life. And his family experience was very uh, kind of crucial. And his, um, and he he was a great stepfather too. He was very. It was funny. I was talking with um, Sonia about doing her like bookish podcast, and I realized the first books that were really given to me were my stepfather. And he gave me like because I grew up in California, and before we moved to Arizona, he gave me books on you know um, John Steinbeck, you yeah. know, Cannery Row, because I knew the coast and I loved tide pools. And so I, I I was like the only eight year old I think reading Cannery Row. I'm like, hey, have you guys read Cannery Row? <laughs> Okay. And it's like, no. Steinbeck. <laughs> no. Steinbeck. Steinbeck. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that, not to be, it wasn't, that's so he was not a, a huge, humble brag. He was a huge influence on you. <laughs> huge, huge. And a lot of love and nurturing and um, very lucky in that sense. Yeah. And did you see your dad a lot after the divorce? No. Um, especially when we moved to Tucson, I would see him like once in the summer and once at Christmas. So it was really, that was hard. And, you're really- and these are huge pieces that really inform obviously who you are. Yeah, well, it's a crucial time of your life, yeah. which is very informative. Yeah. How, and you're very, very, you're close to your siblings and extremely close to your brother, Joe. Yeah. But you guys didn't, he was Grow with your together. dad. So yeah, he came to live with us when he was 14 and I was 10 or 9 or 15 and 10 or something. Yeah. And then we fought like animals the way a 15-year-old and a 10 would, um, 10-year-old would do. And then we, but we became close when he was after college and then after I went, it was like when I became who I was is when we became close. So when I dropped out of college and I went to teach English in Japan and, you know, I was reading. Yeah, I that went was to, my path. Did you just choose me between moving to L.A. or teaching English in Japan? Oh, really? That's so funny. I had an offer and then I had an offer in L.A. and that was my big like, I think I'm going to try L.A. Oh, how funny. How funny. do we not know that? I yeah, know, we've well, never actually made well, that Well, before I dropped out of college, I went. I was able to get into like these 300 and 400 level English classes because my brother had gone there before me. And that was like the only thing I liked doing was reading books and writing. And art history I love too. But, but I, I, so I was an avid reader. And, and then I started writing to Joe, writing letters. This is like one letter. People wrote letters from <laughs> Japan. And I was reading really into D.H. Lawrence at the time. And I was staying with this Japanese professor whose dissertation was on D.H. Lawrence. So it was like he and Joe and I started just connecting over literature and writing and being an artist. And then we just happened to become really good friends. Yeah, and you found your since, adult relationship. Yeah, we found our adult relationship. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I will say, and then we can wrap up a little bit, but... One of the things at your 50th that kept coming up from your friends who've known you since you were little and Joe, yeah. um, people who've been with you since like the Arizona days and yeah. who are awesome, they all kept, every time everyone spoke, they all said in a different way, like, we all knew you were going to be famous. Oh, really? It's so funny. Do you remember I them saying remember that? that? Like, three, and and yeah. every time one of them said it, everybody, everyone was like, yep. Yep. And I found that so, so interesting. Funny. So now do you feel like, do you look back and feel like you always knew in like your core, like what you were going to be, that you were going to be an actress? Well, and I will successful? say for as much as I vacillate still and, and struggle with um, wanting to be clear and clarity and, 
because I feel like I just go, well, should I, shouldn't I? I just, the ambiguity of life is so hard for me sometimes to navigate. I was always clear from when I was a little kid that I wanted to be an actress. And I only got in trouble when I tried not to be that, you know, when I tried to be more practical or normal or computers. Yeah. Or computers, (laughs) computers, computers. That wasn't me. That just wasn't, that was my mom, you know, um, who is lovely, but is, you know, it's, there's a lot of, I think, as probably a lot of parents are for their kids when they want to be, say they want to be an actor or a dancer or a musician. They're terrified. They're terrified. You. They're like, uh, how are you going to pay? Who's and I can't take afford to keep you? taking care of you That's for the right. rest of my life. That's right. So, but for me, I knew that. I remember watching old movies when I was little with my mom, old black and white movies, a million dollar movie. And I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to do that. And started doing it when I was a kid. And I loved it. I loved being on, but, but what I realized too is I love really being on stage. That's my joy. Um, and so that's part of the reason I made big shifts and house selling and going back to New York and, you know, downsizing my life, making my life to where it supports more of who I am really authentically, as opposed to, I got this big house and I love, and I love doing all that. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but for me, I was, I just was like, oh, I really want there as part of my work to be able to do live theater, which doesn't pay. And, um, it needs just an important piece of my soul. Yeah. So. And you've always known that. Yeah. And it's always guided you, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I have a few quickies for you to just answer for us. Um, What's your favorite spiritual book? I know you were talking about Esther Hicks, I think, before we started recording, actually. But is, do you have a favorite spiritual book? I don't have a go-to one. I I ha- I do love um, Eckhart Tolle. Um, I love The Power of Now, but I love The, the, um, the New Earth, too. Mm-hmm. I've just been, I listen. I find it's easier for me to listen. I also love Pema Chodron. I find those easier for me to absorb on um, audiobooks. I just don't want to read spiritual books <laughs> no i get i get, i don't want to re- and i don't want to read nonfiction. i'm like i only want to read fiction to where i can escape into this you know doesn't mean it's less valuable too. no 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 but i'm like i, I like, like listening st- to it and i can and i hear it and i'm sure that's because probably in some way you feel like wait this is a lesson i'm yeah, learning so i yeah. want to hear it from the teacher yeah i'm yeah. a little bit the same way i like to listen to them also and same thing i love to like get lost in pages of yeah. fiction because i feel like it's i just want to get lost in a story yeah yeah exactly so that's yeah, so I have a few of them in rotation. But I also Sterling told me about You Are a Badass. So I got the Oh, um, we have that out on the front. We got the audiobook. So I'm like, got that. I just like listening. I think it's one of the beautiful things um about being in LA and you're in your car so much is it's a great chance to reprogram yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to being annoyed at being in traffic. Um, you can, you know, breathe and meditate in the car too, but you can really just I take it as an opportunity to reprogram. No, it is great. And you also keep choosing to live in like the opposite ends of Los Angeles, so it gives you a lot of time. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Oh my God. But at least like it doesn't drive you crazy. For some people, it will make them crazy being in the car. But the fact that you actually. It makes me a little crazy. But you're like, I have a choice. Am I going to be crazy or am I going to make, you know, enjoy it? So. If you could say anything to yourself 20 years ago, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, Just keeping courageous, I think. Yeah, it's so, I mean, there's a lot of things I'd like to say to her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just said, say in New York, you don't have to go. No, but I uh, I think there's a part of me that, I don't think there's any really mistakes. I really don't. But I think that I still was operating from that little bit of that fear system of survival, you know, because there was always that neck and neck, that struggle with do what you love, but how are you going to pay for it? What if it doesn't work? But I have to, this is who I have to be. So I just would keep encouraging. I would have to keep encouraging. I don't think I would have done anything different. Yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Keep believing doing in yourself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. that's amazing. I think we should end on that because I okay. think that's, that is basically right. It's like you're on your path and just trust it. Yeah. Yeah. And now let's listen to Kate's personal practice, a poem, Everything is Waiting for You by David White. Everything is waiting for you. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, 
even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you courage. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Mm-hmm.